uh, several of you, probably many of you, have been over to my house for, uh, for, for barbecue, and everybody always talks about how good it is. And of course, you know, Kansas City barbecue, of course, is the best. Nobody will admit that, but it really is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of times I'm out there on the grill, and, uh, you know, whether it be uh, ribs or chicken or, or sausage or whatever the case may be, you know, uh, you know, uh, nobody really knows this, but sometimes one will fall off on the ground. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, of course, you look around and you see nobody's looking, you put, pick it up, you put it back on the grill. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so somebody will get that particular piece and, you know, of course, it'll have something special to it. That'll be just a special one there. And, uh, you know, maybe a little crunchy, a little gritty or something like that, you know. And... Uh, I just want you to know that uh, uh, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. And so just kind of remember that. Just remember that. And uh, uh, now that, that's a joke. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, this morning we'll call, uh, continue our study in Matthew uh, Matthew chapter 15. I didn't realize that uh, we'd approach the end of our study, I guess, for a little while anyway. But it's been a great study. I've been really enjoyed going through uh, the book of Matthew. Not so much in my teaching or anything like that, but just listening uh, to the various lessons. And I've really learned some things in, uh, in, uh, in our study. And certainly hope we can this morning as well. Uh, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. Uh, it comes from Matthew 15. We'll read the first nine verses. Uh, then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded your honor, your father, and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me, it is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through verse 9. Our text tells us this morning that the Pharisees and scribes, they came from Jerusalem. Now, consider that uh, in this particular account at this particular time, Jesus is in the region of Galilee. He's up in northern Israel, probably some 65 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, yet, uh, these religious leaders make what is about a three- or four-day journey on foot, probably for no other reason than to somehow disrupt Jesus and his ministry. Uh, after his last encounter with the religious leaders, you remember I taught about that. It was concerning the Sabbath law uh, back in chapter 12. And the Bible tells us there that the Pharisees went out and they conspired against Jesus how to destroy him. And so now they're just 
watching Jesus, they're following him, looking for any reason to confront him and to try to diminish his influence among the people. And so this confrontation this time is about this particular tradition. They ask, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now, I think we need to understand this morning that they're accusing his disciples of breaking an oral tradition of the elders of Israel. Uh, You know, these were the elders and the rabbis, their interpretation of Scripture, their interpretation of God's law. And out of these interpretations, many traditions would evolve out of that. Now, by the time of Jesus, these interpretations and traditions were considered to be just as authoritative and sometimes even more so than Scripture themselves. Now, consider back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 30, God required the priests to wash both their hands and their feet before entering the temple to do their service. But nowhere was this washing of hands required before a common meal. Once again, this was a tradition of the elders. And there was more to it than just a simple washing of hands. That wasn't all there was to this thing that they were talking about here. Now, notice in Mark's account, in Mark chapter 7, it says parenthetically, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Now, sometimes in the footnote, according to that term properly, it means like with the fist. In other words, there was some means of washing where the water would run down out, out their fist and they would hold their fingers down so the water wouldn't touch any part of them again because now the water was considered unclean. But notice it says, unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So this wasn't washing hands to remove dirt like we would normally do. But this was an elaborate rinsing ritual that was supposed to make the individual ceremonially clean. I want you to notice these uh, comments from MacArthur's commentary. Uh, He said that the value of ceremonial rinsing was held so high that one rabbi insisted that whosoever has his abode in the land of Israel and eats his common food with rinsed hands, they rest assured that he shall obtain eternal life. Another rabbi thought that it would be better to walk four miles out of the way to get water than to eat with unwashed hands. A certain rabbi who was imprisoned and given a small ration of water used it to wash his hands before eating rather than to drink, claiming he would rather die than to transgress that tradition. And so obviously, this was a very important tradition to the religious leaders. But once again, that's all it was. It was a tradition. It was not law. It was not scripture. Well, Jesus doesn't bother to answer the Pharisees' charge against his disciples. Instead, he challenges them with a question of his own. He answered them and said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded 
honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now Jesus charges the religious leaders with a direct violation of Scripture. Once again, not tradition, but this was Scripture. To honor mother and father was one of the Ten Commandments. And to violate this was supposed to carry the penalty of death. To honor one's parents not only meant to respect them, but it also meant to honor them by supporting them in their old age when they were unable to take care of themselves. But the Pharisees had a tradition that said, you could pledge or you could simply uh, donate or dedicate your possessions to God or really the temple. And once they were dedicated to God, they could be used for no other purpose than for the service at the temple, not even to support one's parents. The problem was, many times, they didn't actually give those things to the temple. But once again, this was simply a very selfish means to get around God's law and yet still look righteous. And so for this, Jesus rightly labeled them as hypocrites, meaning play actors or someone who wears a mask or very simply one who says one thing and yet does another. Well, then we get down to Matthew 15 going down, and we're going to drop down to about verse uh, 12. Uh, then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? In other words, the Pharisees didn't like what you said. He, they didn't like you calling them hypocrites and accusing them in that way. And Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, what did Jesus mean in verse 13 when he said, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up? I can't be really certain, but, you know, it may have reference to another parable that he told back in chapter 13. And I think Josh talked about this parable a couple of weeks ago. But in that parable, a man sowed good seed in a field, and at night his enemy came and sowed weeds. The plants came up along with the weeds, and his servants asked if they should go and gather the weeds out of the field. But the man said, no, let them grow together until a harvest. And at that time, the weeds would be pulled up separate it from the wheat, and burn. Now, perhaps this passage that we just read is an application of that parable. The false hypocritic religion of the Pharisees was not planted by God. It was not the good seed that he had planted, but rather it was weeds planted by the enemy. And Jesus says that the harvest is coming. And at that time, the weeds are going to be pulled up, separated from the wheat, and burned. And so what that tells us is, is that in this harvest, all of those who live after the example, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, are going to be separated out from the good seed. And there's going to be a judgment. And so Jesus said, let them alone. 
because they're blind guides. In other words, let them go their way and don't follow them, have nothing to do with them, because if those who are being taught are led by someone that is blind spiritually, in other words, someone who is evil, someone who is distorted, someone who is hypocritical, then not only will the leader be lost, but so also those who follow and live after their example may well be lost as well. As I was thinking about that passage, I couldn't help but remember some 900 people that died in Jonestown back in 1978. They followed a so-called religious leader named Jim Jones, a man who was somehow narcissistic and twisted and evil, proclaimed that he himself was God, and in following him, 900 people committed suicide and lost their lives. Now, I won't speak to the eternal destiny of those people that followed Jim Jones, but I think, once again, it tells us something. If the blind follow the blind, they're both going to fall into a pit. So, let me take some time and just share three points that we can take away from our passage this morning. First of all, Jesus proclaimed that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a person. Now, to be defiled means to be rendered unclean. And the Jews generally thought of defilement as being ceremonially unclean. For example, by touching something that was dead or eating something that was forbidden by law, they would be rendered ceremonially unclean and a cleansing ritual would have to take place. But understand this morning that Jesus is concerned not with ceremonial or ritual cleansing, but rather with inward spiritual cleansing. This type of cleansing is not a matter of what we touch or what we eat, but rather it's a condition of the heart. Jesus explained to his disciples that what we eat is eventually expelled from our bodies and has no impact on our hearts whatsoever. Matter of fact, if we look at Mark's account, Mark's account adds, thus he declared all foods clean. In other words, Jesus basically overturned the food laws or restrictions of the Old Testament saying he declared all foods clean. In other words, Anything, whether it be pork or salmon or whatever the case may be, by eating that, it cannot make us unclean spiritually. But what comes out of our mouth, understand, is a product of our hearts. And an evil heart will ultimately be revealed by the things that we say. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. He said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. You know, it's amazing that oftentimes you'll hear somebody who's in the public eye, and they'll say something that's hurtful, or they'll say something that, uh, you know, really is uh, uh, derogatory, or whatever the case may be. And later, you know, they'll have to kind of backtrack and say, oh, well, my, 
my uh, comments they were taking out of context or whatever the case may be. And sometimes that might be true. But you know what? The things that we say reveal where our heart is because it's what comes out of the mouth that reveals what's on the inside of us. You know, Mark's account in Mark chapter 7 is even more explicit in that it says that the things which come out of a person is what defiles him. In other words, it's not just what comes out of our mouth, but rather it's our actions, our habits, our priorities, and our character will reveal ultimately what's in our hearts. As followers of Jesus Christ, beloved, we want our hearts and our lives to be transformed by the love of Jesus Christ and by the indwelling of his spirit within us. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Beloved, this morning, the things that we say, the things that we do, our habits, our priorities, our character, ultimately reveal what's in our hearts. Jesus is not looking for ceremonial cleansing, but Jesus is looking for the cleanness that's on the inside of us that comes from a changed life and a changed heart as a result of his spirit dwelling within us. Secondly, this morning, Jesus quoted Isaiah in this passage saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus compared the religious leaders to the ancient Israelites. Their worship was rendered useless and empty because even though they were offering all the right sacrifices and celebrating all the holy days, God declared that their heart is far from me. Therefore, their worship was rendered empty, vain, and useless. I think I shared this passage a few weeks ago when I taught, but it's in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, where God said through his prophet, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Just like the ancient Israelites, beloved, and just like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, don't you know that our worship can be rendered vain by evil hearts, by hypocrisy? It's easy for us to look good on Sunday mornings as we come to worship and sing songs of praise and offer up many prayers. But you know, that's not the end all, because even the Pharisees looked good. 
You remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, he said to them, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus could see right through them. And beloved, he can see through us as well. He's not looking for the outward ritual or ceremony so much as he's looking at the condition of our hearts, what's on the inside of us. The solution for us is essentially the same as God's words to Israel. He said, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, clean on the inside. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. In other words, help those who are helpless. That's what he's talking about today. Jesus declared to a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, the true worshipers, those who God is looking for, will worship God from the inside out. They will worship God with true hearts of genuine love and devotion, and that worship will be reflected in their everyday living. It's in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 that Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our spiritual worship, our worship that comes from the inside is that worship that's reflected when we sacrifice ourselves by giving of ourselves in service to God and doing the things that he would desire for us to do. A final thing that we can take from our passage this morning is that we ought to be careful when it comes to tradition. The term tradition simply refers to those things that are practiced or observed continually over time. And notice how Paul uses the term in Scripture in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, consider that the traditions that Paul speaks of here are the standards of Christian living, the things that characterize Christ's followers, the things that eventually would become Scripture. But I want us to understand today, as far as traditions are concerned, that, you know, traditions, they can be a good thing. Traditions can keep us grounded and connected with our past. Many families have traditions that keep them in touch with their heritage. You know, I think about my family in particular, and I've mentioned uh, our family on many occasions that, you know, our family uh, was very large. And I remember my dad, he had uh, 14, uh, there were 14 siblings. And I can remember from a very young age that every year around Christmas, and we would get together in one of those brothers or sisters' homes, and, and we would have what we termed a Christmas breakfast, not necessarily on Christmas Day, but somewhere right close to Christmas. And you know, that tradition still lives on to today. Matter of fact, now uh, the tradition is so large that it can't be held in anyone's home. We have to rent a hall or have it in someone's church basement or something like that. And so traditions can be a good thing. 
But tradition can also be a negative thing, as it was in our passage today. The religious leaders concocted a tradition that opened the door for a clear violation of Scripture. And we need to understand that when tradition contradicts the Word of God or leads us away from a healthy relationship with Him, then it's a tradition that needs to be discarded. Another thing about tradition is, you know, it's not Bible. We need to understand that, and it's not law. And we should understand that while traditions are good, they shouldn't be forced on others. There was nothing inherently wrong about the tradition of washing hands before eating, but to try to elevate that tradition to a law that was required by everyone and to chastise and penalize for not doing it, that's something that was wrong. I think that many of us come from a background where tradition was held pretty high. And we, had a lot of, we have a lot of traditions, and some of those traditions are really good. But we need to understand that there's a difference between Scripture and tradition. My friend John Moduling said one time, I don't have a problem with tradition as long as we can make some new ones. <laughs> and I think that's probably not a bad saying. Not change just for the sake of change, but I think we need to constantly evaluate the things that we do, evaluate them against Scripture, and make sure that they are healthy and they are things that lead us to God and not away from God. I just wanted to share those things with you. I hope and pray that something we've said this morning has been helpful. Praise team, you can come on up. Appreciate y'all in so many ways. Thank you.